that's the best part of my morning. Bunch of great kids. I want to say happy Father's Day to the dads in here as well. And uh, we just honor your role and what God is, is doing through you and has done in your life. And, and yesterday was Juneteenth, which is a, an, also a neat holiday. And so there's just a lot to celebrate this weekend. And uh, we want to recognize those things. Today, I want to continue uh, talking about the subject of fear, and specifically, how is it that we're meant to deal with fear? Because I would say that as a community, but not just as a community, as a culture, we have a problem with fear. There are so many people today that just live consumed with fear, and what fear does is it robs us of a future, Uh, It enslaves us. Often it can stop us. It causes us to retreat and to lose the sense of who we are. Uh, uh, Timothy's told by um, his mentor that fear will actually make him selfish and weak and confused. And so fear is a major problem in the world today. And in this series called The Upside Down Kingdom, we're contrasting, contrasting the systems of the world and the way the world operates with the way God's kingdom operates and God's systems. And so the different currencies of the kingdoms of the, this world and God's kingdom. The world today often says, hey, just stoke your fears, let it consume you. Or it'll say, hey, just try to be brave on your own, which if you've tried to do that before, when you face trembling fear, you find out it doesn't work. What's becoming popular today is when we're afraid, we expect everyone else around us to be afraid like we're afraid at our level. And if they're not, we shame them. And so the world processes fear in a very, very unhealthy way, and it can manifest itself in physical sickness, we call it anxiety, uh, emotional sickness, spiritual sickness, worry, despair, all of those things. So fear is a major problem. Last week, I contrasted the motivation of fear and the motivation of joy. And those two things often don't go together, but I want to give you just a little summary of that message because it sets up what I want to talk about today. Jesus faced trembling fear. In fact, the word that's used to describe his moment of despair in the garden when he's praying is that it was a moment of trembling fear. Jesus, the strongest man, the wisest man that ever lived, was afraid. And you would think that Jesus just tried to be brave and courageous, but that's actually not what the scriptures tell us. When Jesus was afraid, he focused on something different. Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When Jesus was afraid, and here's the example for us, he pursued joy. When Jesus was afraid, he pursued joy. You can read some of the Psalms where they're going through the same thing. They're afraid of certain moments, and they begin to connect to the source of joy. Now, here's where joy comes from. It doesn't come from having money. It doesn't come from having a vacation or more leisure time. Joy comes from loving union with others. So when you greeted each other a moment ago, if you saw a face looking back at you that basically said to you, I'm glad to see you, glad to meet you, Joy is activated in your brain. We now know from neuroscience that a baby that's being held by their mother and they're looking in her, the baby looks in her mother's eyes, joy is, joy is activated because there's loving connection. When people reconcile through conflict and offer forgiveness, when people accomplish something together and share just a moment of accomplishment as a community, joy is released. Joy is the product of relational, uh, relational connection, loving union. And so that can happen between you and God, or that can happen between other people. And that's why as a church, church communities are very, very important. It's not enough just to watch from home. We actually need to be with each other, to see a smile, to shake a hand, to give a hug, because this is meant to be a joy factory. So where joy comes from. 
So Jesus pursued joy when he was afraid. That's why it says in Psalm 16, and we think that uh, certainly this was on Jesus' mind, that he knew this, that the fullness of joy is found in your presence. He was thinking about the presence of his father, and he was connecting to God's presence when he was afraid. As a result of all of that, joy, brave faith, the courage he needed to finish the task. And so it kind of works the other way. Rather than stoking our fears, rather than just trying to suck it up and be brave on our own, we actually pursue the presence of God or the presence of others. And out of that loving union, fear is dealt with and brave faith is birthed. Now, here's what I wanna do today. I wanna contrast fear and our response of brave faith. So not the motivations, but the responses. And here's my one simple point today. And I'm just gonna tell you a bunch of stories because I wanna motivate you. I wanna motivate you to deal with your fear. I also say this. Over the last year, I felt convicted as a pastor in this church that we have not done a good enough job helping people deal with their fear. The world is full of things that are constantly uh, giving us anxiety, making us anxious. We spend time watching the news. They know exactly what to tell us to make us afraid. Fear is addicting. And we don't have the skills to deal with our fear. So I feel convicted, and that's why the last two weeks we're wanting to spend some time on this. But here's what I want you to hear. Brave faith is the opposite of fear, but brave faith opens the door for God's power. Brave faith Plus, God's power changes a person's life forever. It doesn't just transform the moment of fear. So brave faith makes us open for the work of God, the power of God in our life. And, and I think everyone would be open to God doing something neat for them. God is generous. He cares about resourcing your life and, and wowing you and blessing you. Brave faith is... Um, it is not a requirement, but it does something to us that allows God's power to work in our life. And let me say this, it's not transactional. God is not saying, do this for me so I can do this for you. It's not that way. But brave faith opens our heart for God to work. So God has this thing that he's ready to share with us and it follows brave faith. Now let me also say this, there is always a cost to fear. If you live consumed by your fears and you spend your time talking about it and just stoking them and being stalled in it, there will always be a cost to it. And it's important to know that because usually what happens is when we're afraid, we're afraid of what's to come. We're afraid of the unknown. And that's why we're willing to stay stuck because we're afraid of the uncertain future. But we have to know this is a wisdom thing that if we just stay in that place of fear, that will also cost us something. So let me give you a few examples. So we just saw a few families up here. Every foster family, every adoptive family I've ever spoken to, the mom and dad would say they experienced some fear during the process of fostering or before adoption or during the process. What if she goes back home and we've given our heart to her and we've loved her after she's been neglected and we're the only parents she knows? What if she's taken back? Can you imagine that fear? Adoptive parents often, if they're adopting through a Christian organization, they have to spend some time in a pastoral interview, and so I've had a few of these with people. Every couple that's come in to adopt, especially the first, uh, the, the first time through adoption, during the process you hear excitement, but after a while you hear them talk with some fear in their voice. We don't know what they've gone through. We don't know what their family is, their family is like, and you hear some fear. I was thinking in first service, 
that it might give some people more fear to know that your children has your own DNA, right? Maybe it's good news they have someone else's DNA. Figured out adoption, finally. In those meetings, you'll, they'll say, you know, we, we just don't know what we don't know, but we, this, and then they'll connect to joy. We've heard God say this to us. We believe God's with us. Joy leads to courage. The husband will reach over and grab his wife's hand, and they'll make eye contact, and they'll smile, and joy is released, and brave faith is activated. What would happen if faith or fear stopped them? Fear always has a cost. Here's a less important thing. Three years ago, I was going through something. I was feeling like as uh, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone, God was speaking to me about what our next step was, and I believed it was something we ended up naming Dream Boulder. It's a project of demoing the building in the back and building a new one and remodeling the space so that Cornerstone could stay a strong, healthy church with room for everyone for the next 20 years in Boulder. Lots of churches like to leave. We didn't want to. This is a hard city. We're hard-headed. We don't want to leave. But I was afraid because we had never done anything like that before. And I was afraid that people wouldn't share my vision, and I was afraid that we would fail. What would have happened if we would have stopped? You know, we don't even have a building yet because we're two years delayed. But the last two years has been the, the two most exciting years of shared vision among our community. The number of people that are participating in the vision, making sacrifices, giving, serving, to be a church that blesses our city has been amazing. There would have been a cost to stopping because of fear. Fear always costs us something. Here's another example. Fear robs us of special moments. So let me show you this picture. I'll tell you about these two young guys. You can put it up there. This is an article and a picture I saw this week in the Huffington Post. They had grabbed an article written by a mom on her blog, and this was the title of the article. My autistic son didn't have a prom date when his brother did not, what his brother did next was a beautiful moment written by their mother. So here's what happened. There's two brothers here. Ian it has autism and he's on the spectrum. And uh, because of that, he has a hard time socializing. And so things like prom or graduation, which were coming up, were certainly going to be difficult for him. He didn't have a group of friends to go to prom with. He certainly didn't have a date. And his mom was sad that he would miss just this great rite of passage special moment in his life. And so she went to his older brother, Jonah, who's three years older, college age, and said, you know, your brother is, doesn't have a way to go to prom. Would you be willing to take your brother? Now, who does that, right? What older brother wants to take his younger brother to prom? What if he would have stoked his fears? Like, what are people going to say about me? But he said, you know what? He said, yes. And he said, not only are we going, but we're getting matching tuxes. And we're going to dance all night. There's always a cost to letting fear win. But brave faith opens us up to God doing something amazing in our life. Let me read you a bunch of passages where the same word is used to describe the message Jesus is giving people right before he does something amazing in their life. And the word is, it's a Greek word, tharseo, and it translates in different, people, in different places to take heart, have courage, be of good cheer, have brave faith. 
It shows up in many different places, but what I want you to see is that this message always preceded God doing something powerful in someone's life. All right, so we'll start in John chapter six. Here's the context. Jesus is getting his disciples ready for their hardships. He's about to go to the cross. They're gonna be scattered. They're gonna be afraid. They're gonna be disoriented. Later on in life, they're gonna face struggles because of uh, their faith in Jesus. And he's trying to encourage them. And before the Holy Spirit ever comes and it turns this group of feared, scattered men into a unified, empowered, brave group, here's the message. Verse 32, a time is coming and in fact has come when, we'll be, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the world, but take heart, is that word thoseo, brave faith, have courage, but take heart. Here's a few other places. Matthew chapter nine. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart. Arceo, for your sins are forgiven. And then if you keep reading, this paralyzed man is healed. Matthew chapter 9. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and he said, take heart, Arceo, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. These are some of our favorite stories, right, of Jesus? healing people and encouraging others. And he keeps saying, take heart, have brave faith. Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go to, ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already consider in a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So remember this story? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's the same word. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then here's Peter. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. It's amazing, right? Of course, he sinks later on. Took his eyes off. But the message was, when they didn't recognize him, take courage. So before this miracle of Peter walking on the water, the message is take courage. Mark chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with him were or together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartholomew was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. And here's the word. It says, cheer up but it's Tharseo, have brave faith, on your feet, 
He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amazing story, right? The message there again. Have courage. Brave faith. Acts chapter 23. Even Paul needed brave faith. So uh, Paul was first known as Rabbi Saul. He's a Jewish rabbi. He has this encounter with Jesus on a road one day. He sees the risen Jesus. Same way Jesus convinces people today. God's spirit comes and speaks to us. We realize there's a presence different than us. And we're, we're convinced the story is true. So that happened to, to uh, Rabbi Saul. And we know him as the Apostle Paul. So he would go around and he began to talk about Jesus and he'd talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus and its reality and what it meant. And uh, there were thousands of Jews that believed the message, but those that were in power in the Jewish community were disturbed by what Paul was sharing. And so an argument breaks out one day. He's brought into this kind of kangaroo court and the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees are trying to decide what to do with him and a fight breaks out. And this is what happened. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and to take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks, okay? So he's in the barracks, but he's kind of in prison. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Tharseo, take courage. It's the same work the Greek translators chose to use. As you have testified, testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So get what's happening. You have the disciples who are getting ready to, to suffer and to be scattered, and the message to them before the Holy Spirit comes on them is brave faith. You have a paralyzed man. Before he is healed, the message to him is brave faith. To the woman with chronic bleeding, before she is healed, the message to her is brave faith. To the disciples who didn't recognize Jesus, and to Peter, who thought about doing something crazy for God, the message was brave faith. To the blind man who wanted to see, the message was brave faith. And to Paul, who was growing weary and ready to quit, not liking his job, the task that he had been given, before he supernaturally empowered, the message is brave faith. Brave faith leads to courage, to face suffering. It leads to healing, recognizing God, sustaining strength, God doing amazing things through you. It's so important to see this. It's the same word they used. It was the same message. Fear had something to do with where they were in life. And they needed that brave faith to take heart, to have courage, to be lifted up so that their heart might be open for God to do something amazing in their life. The same is true for us. So fear will cost us. But brave faith will open up our lives for God to pour out his generosity into our lives. Let me tell you another story. This is my favorite story in the whole Bible. I've shared it many times here at Cornerstone. It's my favorite story about fear and brave faith or fear and courage. And it occurs in 1 Samuel chapter 14, but it's, it's several chapters. And you just have to read the whole story. Um, it's one of those moments in your Bible where Israel is once again at war, and they're at war with their generational enemy, the Philistines. So what had happened is God had given the Jewish people a certain plot of land, but there were, we were told, he, they were told that there would be giants in the land that they would have to drive out. The Philistines were some of those people. 
And the Philistines were an advanced nation, a larger nation. They had a much better army. They were, uh, had an army at the time that was able to rival the Egyptians. And Israel finds itself once again at war with the Philistines. In this moment that I'm going to read you, the Philistine army was, had 30,000 chariots, 6,000 cavalry, and troops too large to count. We're actually told that in the scriptures. The Jewish army or the Hebrew army was made up of 600 brave young men and old men. King Saul had to defend the nation, so he sent out messengers everywhere asking for brave young men and old men to come and fight. And 600 came to fight against that army. To make matters worse, um, make matters worse, the, the army that the Philistines had is just sophisticated. All of those weapons, chariots and horses and all of these different things. The Israelites in their entire nation didn't have a single blacksmith so they didn't have a single way of actually making weapons. They used to have to travel to the Philistine villages and pay them to sharpen their farming tools and things like their axes. So they have no way of producing weapons. And the reason that was really a problem is because they didn't have any weapons in the entire army. We're told that only the king Saul and his son Jonathan had real weapons. So 600 versus a countless number and the 600 have two swords. And they're at war. And you start reading about it in 1 Samuel chapter 14. The army has, has gathered and they're stalled. And they're stuck in this valley. And around the valley are these garrisons of the Philistines trying to keep an eye on this army and keep them contained because the Philistine army has split up and it's going around and it's destroying the Jewish villages. So the whole nation is at risk here. You can put that picture up there. This is actually the spot in Israel that we think that this battle, this moment that I'm going to read to you in a moment, took place. So imagine the Israelites down at the, the bottom of the valley and up above are the Philistines. The soldiers were stalled at the bottom. That's what often happens when fear gets its hold on a person. You stop moving. You stop saying yes to what God has called you to. They had forgotten that God had said, I will help you win. I will be with you. They had forgotten all of those things and they had stalled. A second group of people had done something different. This is a second um, kind of product of fear is they had lost themselves. They had forgotten who they are. These are the chosen people. People called to be kings and priests and we're actually told that there was a group of the Hebrews, the Jews that actually went over to the Philistines and began to wear their clothes and speak their language and believe in their, their cultural narratives and worship their gods. They had completely forfeited their identity and pretending to be something else. Now, you know who knows about this? About losing your identity and being, being something else? Parents of teenagers know all about this, right? We want our kids to have the courage to say no to be who they are. And they're afraid that they're not going to fit in. And so many kids just lose themselves. They become something they're not because they're afraid. Well, that's happening here. Here's the third thing that's happening with another group. You have some people that are on the retreat. They are running. They're hiding in caves. They're up in the hills. They, they've left their post. And so some people stop, some people surrender, and there's others that run and hide. All of those things are taking place. And then this scene behind me is changed because there is one brave moment. Brave faith in God's power changes everything. 
You get to verse six. Jonathan, the prince, the son of the king, said to his young armor bearer, and know this about the armor bearer. Most likely, it's a boy 11 or 12 years old, not a soldier. And it's the armor bearer's job to carry around uh, the, the prince's armor and to carry around his sword. So it's Jonathan and the armor bearer with one sword. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. This is something I tell my boys before they step on the mountain, Russell. Get out there and take on those uncircumcised men. Wouldn't that be weird? That would be a test of their focus if I were to do that. The Bible's full of weird things. Let's just laugh at it. But he goes to the outpost of the uncircumcised. Perhaps, look what he says. He's, he's counting on God doing something powerful. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord <clears throat> from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, the young armor bearer is also brave. Because this is what happens. Courage begets courage. Brave faith inspires more brave faith. Look what the armor bearer says. Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you in heart and soul. Whoa. Verse 13. Jonathan, those hills that you saw, climbed up using his hands and feet. So those of you who have been hiking in Colorado, you know that there's certain hills that are so steep you actually have to get down on your hands and knees and crawl up, right? Right? So Jonathan's crawling up, and his armor bearer is crawling up behind him, dragging the sword. With his armor bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. So they're crawling up, the Philistines fall down the cliff, and the 12-year-old, is the only one with the sword, wins the battle. You see how crazy it is? Now, here's how we know it's true, or at least one way we know it's true. Word began to spread. Certain people saw what took place. And you can read, it says, word of Jonathan's brave moment and his armor bearer's moment began to spread. First, it spread to the soldiers down in the camp. Guess what they did, who were stopped. Remember, they're stopped. They're stuck in the mud. They charged. They charged and they won a battle. You can read that in verse 20. In verse 21, this is what it says. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines, so those that had surrendered their identity and gone over with the enemy and had gone up uh, with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So they, they, they leave their Philistine camps, they come back to their people and they join the battle. It's amazing. Verse 22, this is that third group. When the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined in the battle in hot pursuit. I mean, courage is attractive. Fear is contagious, but so is brave faith. Verse 23, so on that day, the Lord saved Israel. And it says the battle moved on to Beth-Avon. You know who Jonathan's like? He's a picture, picture of, he's a picture of Jesus. He's the first to go. He's the first to have brave faith. He's the first to say, you know what? I think God's gonna do something amazing here. I see that the odds are stacked up against us. I'm going to go. Most of us aren't the armor bearers. We're not the early ones that go. Most of us are like those three groups. 
But when it happens and brave faith is ignited in you, not only do you get moving again, not only are you able to move past your fear, but you're able to see God do something amazing in your life. And so I'm just wanting to give you a desire to move past your fear because there are so many things when you're afraid that say stop, surrender, give up. There's so many voices in your head that says make sure everyone else is afraid like you're afraid. And if they're not afraid like you're afraid, you shame against them. That's the way the world works. Be sad the way I'm sad. Be angry the way I'm angry. Be afraid the way I'm afraid. And if you're not, I'm going to shame you. There's so many voices saying that over and over again. Fear has a cost. But let your yes to brave faith be that God can do something amazing in your life. So I want to bring the worship team up. And I want to close my message today by just giving you a moment with the Lord. And so, you know, I shared a bunch of stories Perhaps your heart is more open to overcoming fear, but I want to return to that place that we started. Overcoming fear is not done because one day you're inspired and you say it's time to be brave. Most of us will never be like Jonathan. Most of us will never be like the armor bearer. Most of us will have to actually go the path that Jesus did. And actually, I think Jonathan was doing the same thing. He was connecting to God's presence. When we tremble, when we're afraid, our focus is not on being brave, not on being courageous, but it's on God's presence, joy in his presence. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just create a quiet place where we can be aware of the God that is with us. I hope you know that. The Holy Spirit is in the room. You have his full attention. He is in us. He is all around us, and he dwells in our gathering. He's present at many different layers here today. And God wants to share his presence with us specifically so that our fear might be transformed. All right? And so I want to invite you just to bow your heads. We're going to bring down the lights and invite you to go to the quiet place of prayer. And even being open to the, the fact that God might want to do something with your fear today, our focus can't be on our fear can't be on us, just mustering up the strength that needs to be on his presence. So as you start, just try to be aware of God's presence with you. Maybe it's his whisper, an emotion, a feeling. And let me give you a couple images that help me connect to the reality that God is with me. There's nothing wrong with using these images. We're giving them in scripture so that we might connect to something that is invisible in this moment, but is certainly true, certainly real. So here's the first image. It comes from Psalm 23. In the valley of death, in the presence of our enemies, he prepares a table for us. So with your imagination, I just want you to picture Jesus at a table and there's a chair there that's just for you. And it's generous and lavish and it's safe. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. 
Picture his face smiling at you. There's never been a day of your life that God has not smiled on you. It's never been a day of your life that he's turned away from you. Do you see his smile? Be aware of the joy that's happening in your mind and your heart. Here's another image that may help some. We're told that right now there's a place in heaven called the throne room of God. The Father is there, and Jesus is there in his body next to the Father, sitting on a throne. It's the highest place, the place of greatest honor. All power flows from that place. So there is the Father, and sitting next to the Father is Jesus on his throne. Imagine them. Imagine his face. And then Jesus turns to his right, and there is another seat. And this is where you sit. You are seated in heavenly places. So imagine your place next to him. Imagine his face. He smiles at you. Let Psalm 16 just sink in. You make known the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now that you are aware of his presence, his love for you, his commitment to you, I want you to ask God to bring to mind one fear that you're carrying. Just one. Something that stopped you, something that's caused you to give away who you are, what God is giving you, something that has you in retreat something that's causing harm in your relationships. And again, don't be focused on being brave. Let that brave faith that we need be the result of loving union. I believe with my whole heart as Jesus trembled as he went to the cross, he had the Father's face in his mind. And so Father, I bless my friends this morning with you, your presence, your voice, your smile, your words, your power, I bless my friends with joy. And just as Jesus focused on joy, as we focus on joy, Father, I pray that you would birth in us brave faith. And thank you as we've seen today, you do amazing things with brave faith. But joy is our focus right now. Remind us 
that we can go to your presence in this way, that we can be with you in those moments we're afraid this week, this month. We don't want to miss a thing that you have for us. And so, Father, we thank you for brave faith. We thank you for joy. We thank you for your power that's working in our life. We're open to all of those things. We love you. Thank you that there is none like you. We're filled with joy in your presence. Amen.